Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined with Starline by an advocacy guru. By day, she's lobbying Congress. By night, well, she's drinking wine and writing romance novels. We welcome author of Across the Aisle, Stephanie Vance. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Stephanie, let's go beyond the mic. In your years of Washington, you've seen the hormones rage as lawmakers, lobbyists, interns. It's a recipe for love and disaster. How has your own experience in Washington influenced this book? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. When I first came to Washington uh, in the late 80s, straight out of college with my political science degree, all ready to save the world, I got into the D.C. dating scene, which was, let's say, chaotic, to say the least. And actually, it's funny because a lot of people think, you know, only Democrats date Democrats or Republicans date Republicans. And no, we all just kind of dated each other all the time. Um, (laughs) I was fortunate in that after about five years of very unproductive dating, definitely with people in the political scene, I met my future husband. Uh, who is a policy researcher. So he doesn't necessarily hang out in the political scene all that much. And sometimes that's nice for me. What's the male to female ratio in the dating scene up there? You know, what's funny is it's definitely um, more women than men. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I first came to to D.C. in the 80s, it was um, definitely more men were in the political and government affairs field. But that switched. And there's definitely more women on the dating scene in D.C. Or so I've heard. I'm married now, so. (laughs) Quote, I don't want to work with that woman, no matter how entertaining it would be to melt her ice queen exterior, if that's even possible, unquote. Grant's everyone in Washington, D.C., isn't he? Well, yeah, although I think he's a little bit more charming than some of the other people in Washington, D.C. Why? You know what I like about Grant? I have a huge crush on Grant. What I like about him is he's both sort of the, you know, not, I don't want to say slick, but very charming kind of politico who can shake your hand and make you feel special. But at the same time, he really, really cares about the work that he's doing. And I think that's a really good analogy for how a lot of people are here in D.C. You know, we sort of have a political exterior because you got to do that to make it. But we actually did come to D.C. because we care about stuff. And that's what I like about Grant. And he's really hot, too. Now, Stephanie, was there a Grant in your life realm in Washington? Oh, yeah. I won't name names, but there's definitely someone who Grant is based on. And you're not going to name names? Come on! I shall not name names. Nope. One of my first lessons I learned when I came to Washington, D.C. is um, never say anything out loud that you don't want on the cover of the Washington Post. And that has served me extremely well. And Dallas McGrath is a special breed. Quote, Is it sad that the person at the nap place knows my name? Unquote. Dallas has such a type A personality. (laughs) Good point. But if you get to know her, there's compassion and love in that heart. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you saw that because I see that a lot with women in D.C. is, you know, you kind of have to have that hard exterior or that hard shell for people to take you seriously. It's getting better. But you'll see that a lot of women members of Congress kind of have to be tough. And Dallas is in the same situation as a lobbyist. You know, she's young, she's smart, she's pretty, 
and she's um, lobbying in a conservative world, which is sometimes not as amenable to women, you know, being lobbyists. But that's what I really like about her is you see her as that she's conservative. She's type A. She's trying to prove herself. But also the reason why she does it is because she cares about something so much more than just, you know, a corporate agriculture company stuff. You live there. You're an advocacy guru. You help others, even in such a divided city. Why is Washington so special in your heart? Oh, gosh. It's special for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, putting aside politics or whatever, it's a gorgeous city. I mean, anyone should, you know, who wants to go somewhere should come to D.C. on, on vacation One interesting thing about the city itself is that there are no buildings over 13 feet tall because they didn't want it taller than the Washington Monument. So it's a very small scale city and just pretty. It's got everything you'd want. And I talk about a lot of those places in the book, jazz clubs, fancy dinner places, congressional baseball games, etc. So just as a city, I love D.C. In terms of the policy work, You know, it is obviously frustrating. It is obviously irritating. You know, obviously there are many times when you just want to grab someone and shake them and say, why are you doing it that way? Again, it goes back to, you know, most people come to the city to do something that they feel very strongly about and they feel in their heart of hearts it's the right thing to do. And even people who I completely disagree with think that what they're doing is the right thing to do. I admire that. You know, I I don't agree with them. I think they're horribly misguided, but they honestly feel that way. And so I appreciate that in in other people. And I think it makes it easier to try and find some sort of compromise. Yep, compromise is hard. (laughs) Stephanie, you have masters in legislative affairs, liberal studies, and fine arts. Some people say you have a love of school. Now, how did those three degrees (laughs) help you? And did they prepare you for the real world? Or was it, I don't want to deal with the real world. Can I stay in school a little longer? (laughs) I'm just going to stay here. So the legislative, it's funny you ask that because the legislative affairs degree was actually very tied to my work. It's not the kind of degree, it's not like a business degree or a finance degree where you, or, you know, being a lawyer where you just, you go and that's a very specific thing you do. And actually coming out of college, a lot of people said, oh, why don't you go to law school? Because you're in D.C., that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a lawyer, so why would I go to law school? And the legislative affairs program seemed like a good option for the kinds of things that I was interested in. Did that degree, like, get me a job anywhere? I don't think so, but did it prepare me for the kinds of jobs I had? Absolutely. It taught me a lot about legislative procedure and compromise and policy and politics and all the kinds of things that I like there. And I'm actually an adjunct professor now for that program at GW. So I guess it did get me a job in a way. And then the, you know, liberal studies and fine arts, those were just sort of, you know, the liberal studies I called the degree of electives. It was just basically all the fun stuff you wanted to take in college and didn't necessarily have a chance to. Uh, And then the fine arts degree led me to across the aisle. So all pretty uh, useful in my life. Across the aisle is the book. Stephanie Vance is the author. Stephanie, can politics and love really mix? You know, I get that, you know, the, the middle is definitely fading. And the characters, Grant and Dallas, are probably a little bit more what some people might call reasonable than you might see in D.C. as specifically these days. But I do think love and politics can mix. I mean, one example I always talk about is James Carville and Mary Madeline from the Bush uh, Clinton campaigns. They were dating while they were working for opposite campaigns. And to me, what that says is 
that you can have, and I've never talked to them, so I don't know, but I think what maybe brought them together was their love of the process, their love of campaigning, their love of that sort of, you know, fight and back and forth and, and whether it was, even though they were doing it on different issues, they were still able to, you know, appreciate that about the other person and their marriage has definitely lasted the, Kellyanne Conway and George Conway I I will not get in the midst of their marriage or have anything to say about what it is they like about or not like about each other but they are a bipartisan couple so that's what I can say about that but yeah it does mix we we can we can put aside we have to put aside politics and policy in order to function, you know, it just, you just get burned out if you're constantly fighting and arguing about something. I know you've been dreading it, but you can't dread it any longer. No. It's time for the Rocky Nate. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Stephanie, there is no pressure. No. When you have writer's block, you drink wine, but what kind of wine is it? Is it good wine, bad wine, box wine? <laughs> well, it really depends on my financial situation. Um, on those times when I have uh, writer's block, when I'm feeling poor, it's box wine when i'm feeling um, much more wealthy it's de definitely the good stuff if i can afford the good stuff i'll drink the good stuff usually red wine my favorite varietal is petite syrah stephanie you've written for bark magazine what makes the love of a dog so special ah, it's unconditional and you can tell it all your secrets and it won't tell anyone else yeah giving you that one look mm. yeah yeah that one look like is that really what you wanted to do? Well, okay, I love you anyways. What's the best thing that's happened to you this year? Oh, God, so many good things. I went on a cruise. I think that's probably so far the best thing that's happened this year. I went on a cruise um, with my mom to Alaska. Wow, what was the best part of the trip? Oh, definitely the dog sledding. What'd your mom think of the dog sledding? Oh, she was great. So yeah, it's really cool. It's not actually on snow, obviously, because it was July, but you get on a little wagon and they like have wheels on it and they haul you around the mountain. And it was just really funny. And my mom and I, while we were on it, there was this one dog on our, you know, there's like, I don't know, 12 dogs. There's this one dog who was nothing like the others. Yes, exactly. He kept jumping up and being like, wee, like every three seconds. It's a party. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. That definitely was the best thing that happened to me this so far. Stephanie, I know people say when the cherry blossoms bloom, it's Washington such an incredible place. Where's the best place to think in Washington, D.C.? I like the Library of Congress. There's a reading room there that's kind of nice to sit. Don't think that we have as much access to it as we used to. I tend to also like to just walk. I'll walk through. My thinking is usually through walking, you know, through the streets of Georgetown. I'm about uh, two miles away, so I'll walk down there and wander around. Twelve incredible museums. What percentage of the Smithsonian museums have you explored from zero to 100? So I would say uh, maybe 40%. That's a good percentage. Do you get scared, angry, or relaxed when someone says, settle down? Depends on the context, but usually annoyed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's someone saying settle down when I should not be settling down and they are being irritating. <laughs> During quarantine, you reorganized the photos on your phone, but have you backed them up yet? Oh, I have automatic backup. I am that person. I am that person. How many pairs of pajamas do you own, and what's your favorite pair? <laughs> well, definitely went up starting in 2020. I um, I d joked with my husband because I always have a lot of pajamas, and he's you know he's always made fun of me. But then 2020 came, and I'm like, who's laughing now? 
But I will say that I have one pair of favorite pajamas that's just a very light, like bamboo style, very simple. So not very exciting, but I love those. If you're enjoying these conversations, please check out another Beyond the Mic episode to find more actors, artists, and people you need to know. We'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app. It's time for the back half with author of Across the Aisle, Stephanie Vance, Beyond the Mic. As an advocate, how has writing freed you to let go those daily stresses? I mean, you're fighting Congress, you're helping others. How has writing helped you freed from those daily stresses in your own world? Well, I think like it helps me look at DC in a different way. So we're always obviously stressful, you know, communicating with the senator's office, trying to get them to, you know, submit a statement to the record or agree to certain language or whatever is very stressful. But when I go back and write, especially like rom-coms based in D.C., it makes me realize that we're dealing with real people. Like the people on my page are actually people who are having the same kinds of issues and thoughts and relationships and personal dramas that the people I deal with on a day-to-day basis are probably having. So it actually helps humanize my work in a, in a big way. How has writing rom-coms helped you keep saying? <laughs> well, I just like to um, sort of uh, escape every once in a while. I don't know. It just, it lightens up things for me. It reminds me not to take ourselves too seriously. You know, we, we, here in DC, we do important work, but you know, we're not emergency room physicians. We're not like literally dealing with life and death, you know, at a specific moment. So reading rom-coms just sort of lightens up the world for me, kind of lets me escape uh, all the drama a little bit. You've written several nonfiction books, but you can't go back to your nonfiction publisher and go, Hey, you know, I've written this rom-com <laughs> romp. Do you want it? I mean, what's the challenges of writing this book? Well, yeah, it's funny because my um, my book, The Influence Game, was through a publisher, one of the big five publishers, Wiley, and that was the nonfiction book that was sort of the culmination of all the stuff that I've learned in D.C. The, the first draft of Across the Aisle was extremely specific about legislative process and how it works and the various shenanigans that Dallas and Grant went through and you know, how they managed to have this amendment on the floor that did such and such. And so to me, that might have been sort of the crossover was I was trying to, you know, turn it into something very specific, you know, real. But I had to learn, like, you know, I'm not writing a documentary. I'm not writing a nonfiction book that people are going to learn about the policy process. I'm writing about something fun. And so I had to sort of learn to, to step away from that I've been lucky because even my nonfiction work is more accessible. I'm not writing like academic journals or anything like that. So it's all a little lighthearted. That just seems to be my my writing style overall. Stephanie, if you can get this book sold for a TV or movie, do you have any idea of who you would like to cast for Grant and Dallas? Okay, actually, I've thought about this because I have a friend. I knew it. <laughs> Every author has. Actually, and I have, it's attached to a screenwriting friend of mine. So I've got a friend who's um, willing to write the screenplay if anyone ever picks it up, just to let your listeners know. Intent. Uh, so for Dallas, um, Zoe Deutsch who, um, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she was been, you know, she's a pretty major star. Uh, and then Jesse Metcalf for Grant. Those are the two people that I was thinking of um, for those positions. And what was funny with my um, screenwriter friend was he was sort of, we were, you know, plot breaking and going through it. And then he said, have you thought about who might be good for Dallas? And I said, I don't know, you know, how much you know her, but Zoe Deutsch. And he was like, oh my God, that's exactly who I was thinking. So 
It was a, a marriage made in heaven. So who's Ashuna? That's a harder one because there's so many. Ashuna, you know what's funny about Ashuna? And, and you know, she's the side character, the best friend of Grant's, and she is just always putting him in his place. She's this gorgeous uh, six-foot-tall black woman with um, who just owns every room she walks into. I can't, I can't really pinpoint someone who would be her because in my mind, she's such a unique individual. So if you think of someone, let me know. I mean, the way I read it, when she walks into a room, she just commands it by mere presence. Yes. Yes. She is just, she has that thing. You know, there's a thing that some people have that, and especially in DC, you're successful if you have that thing and she has it. How has writing this book helped you regain your love of Washington? That's a great question. I'll say, like, reflecting on all the places that I really love about D.C., you know, even putting aside the politics, but, you know, the jazz clubs, the, you know, the museums, the, you know, even things like the drum circle on one of the parks around here, you know, reflecting on that made me really love, remind me of my love of the city. And then thinking about Dallas and Grant in terms of, you know, what does humanize them? What are the things that they're really there to work on? What are the things that they really care about? That reminded me too that, you know, again, everyone is there to work on something that's important to them. And it may not be important to you. You may disagree with it, but you need to know what that is and recognize that they really care probably as much as you do. It's time for one big question with Stephanie Vance Beyond the Mic. Stephanie, as you've written books, helped others with policy advocacy and speaking, what would you tell your 18-year-old self before she set off for college the first time? Well, when I went to college, I actually was a music major. So I played the flute all through high school. Was a good student in college and high school, not so much. So uh, I went to school on a flute scholarship. And I thought that that was what I was going to do, that I was going to be first flute in the New York Philharmonic. And, you know, that was going to be the end of it. And then I discovered in the middle of college that I was not going to be first flute in the New York Philharmonic. And I looked around at the classes that I'd taken, the electives I'd taken, and I realized, oh, I've taken a bunch of stuff on political science. So I probably would just tell my 18-year-old self, you know, hey, you actually like political science and maybe you should start exploring that a little earlier. What's one story of Washington, D.C. that you haven't told before? There is one. So one that I want to mention that I think helps deliver a message about how important constituency is, how, how legislators really listen to the people that they represent, which I know people don't believe. But uh, and it's kind of a, a funny, quirky story. So I was working for a member of Congress from Washington State when I, you know, very early on in my career. We had someone come to our office who was with the American Radio Relay League. So those are the folks who, you know, even prior to podcasts are the sort of the folks that, you know, were our amateur radio um, enthusiasts. Uh, and they came to me and said, hey, you know, because my boss was on the Commerce Committee, which handles telecommunications. And they came to me and said, hey, you know, this is a really important issue. We want to, you know, have you help help us with getting something that had to do with the uh, spectrum, the communication spectrum. And I was like, oh, OK, you know, I was very busy. And then I asked him, you know, so how does this impact the district? And he said, well, you have 5000 amateur radio relay um, operators in your district. And I was like oh, okay, this really matters. So I went to my boss 
and I talked with him about it, and we were able to get some legislation through that had to do with protecting their space on the communication spectrum. So, I mean, that's not a really fascinating story, probably, but it is, to me, an indicator of the fact that legislators really do pay attention to the people that they represent. And that's one of the things that I want people to know about D.C., that, you know, they're not just screaming into a void. They just have to know how to talk to legislators appropriately to, you know, get attention. Now, everyone may not have the true concept of what goes on in Washington. Are there even more shades of gray than black and white right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's not a news story to say Congress got along and did stuff. You know, it's usually something bad that's happening that gets into the news and that's what people hear. But, you know, If you look at what's actually passed by Congress or what, you know, even the House individually passes, I did an analysis once because I'm a nerd and like 85% of it is bipartisan. And it's all, you know, most of it is by a wide margin. And it's not just naming post offices and federal buildings. It's, um, you know, I've seen things about, um, you know, programs for uh, child health, programs for veterans. And these are all things that people do agree on. They vote on a bipartisan basis and people just don't hear about it because, again, you know, Congress got along and did stuff is not a good story. Stephanie, what's one tip for people that you can give constituents so they can talk to their congressman? If I can give two, because I've already given one sort of, which is recognize that the other side honestly feels the way they do. I mean, for the most part, yes, there are horrible people in D.C., and I'm not going to say that there aren't. There are horrible people. Um, But for the most part, the other side really does feel strongly about what they believe. I mean, one example I can give that is a story I've told before. We once were working on an issue that had to do with child access, that had to do with uh, long distance service fees that were on telephone companies. It's called the Universal Service Fund. And we wanted to keep some of those fees because that money was going to, you know, schools to give internet access to kids. There was another group that didn't want it because they thought kids would have access to pornography. And we were like, okay, well, we don't want that either. So why don't, and they honestly felt that way. So I was like, okay, well, why don't we figure out how to solve your problem? And I recognize you honestly feel that way, even though I personally don't think that's a concern. And so what we did was we used some of the funds for the schools and libraries to purchase filtering software. And so they got on board because we solved their problem. They honestly felt that way. And so I recognized that and, you know, came to a conclusion that we could probably work with them on it. The other thing I would want people to know is that they have a lot of power. They have a lot of power, and it doesn't matter what party they're from. Legislators don't ask, are you from my party? Um, When you walk in the door, they ask, are you from my district? Do Do I represent you? And that's the biggest power that people have. Why is your work so important for you? I think in my work, because I do grassroots advocacy, I can see people, I can meet actual human beings who something that I've done has helped them. So it might be that I have trained them how to be an effective advocate because I do a lot of that. It might be that I have worked on a funding program that actually got them something that they desperately needed. So to me, it is that I can run into people, not every day, not all the time, but to people who will say to me, you know, that thing you said or that thing you did, that made a big difference for me. 
And so for most people, it's that way in D.C. And for most people, that's what they're looking for is trying to help someone specific. And where can people find you online? Uh, they can go to www.stephanievance.com. That's my writing website. And you can get from there if you're interested to all the other uh, advocacy, nonfiction kind of stuff. But that's where you'd find all about across the aisle and all the kind of fun stuff that I'm sure people are most interested in. Known to sprinkle in humor when she speaks, she loves her box wine and has been on an Alaskan dog sled. Author of Across the Isle, Stephanie Vance, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And that, my friends, it's Beyond the Mic. <laughs>